Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, everyone. Emma here. And on this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, sponsored by Overdrive, we have a very special guest. We have the author, Scarlett St. Clair. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited that you're here. We're here today to talk about Queen of Myth and Monsters that comes out December 20th. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what this book is about? I always... I don't know why I always dread this question. It should be easy for me, but <laughs> um, yeah, Queen of the Monsters is a sequel to King of Battle and Blood, and it picks up right where we left off, you know, at the end. And um, it is very much focused on Isolde's journey toward empowerment. And I think the really cool part about her power in the book is that it has a duality. So it, it not only comes with her title, but it comes with magic but magic in the form of something that all women possess uh which is you know things like intuition and endurance and and so I think it's sort of um you know a a beautiful um it pays homage to like sort of the struggles that we all go through to survive and uh yeah I really love it it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it because so many things happen in the book you know yes that was the difficulty I had with some of these questions because I want to ask about it but I'm like wait that might be giving too much away so to keep it a little bit vague I'm curious what the initial inspiration was there's such a vivid and fantastical world that you've created in this like King of Battle and Blood universe. Like how did that first spark with you? Like what was the first part that came to you in creating just this? It's so vivid and like, there's lots of mythology and fantasy. And I'm wondering where that came from. Uh, Man, I've got to reach far for this. Um, you know, I don't remember what initially sparked it. I always knew I wanted to write about vampires. I did do a lot of different research on vampires because, you know, I think you always want something familiar, but a little different. And I found this um, encyclopedia on vampiric mythology. And one of the concepts in it is that all vampiric creatures are a manifestation of a culture's fears. And I thought that was very interesting. So it made it to where our concept in, you know, the Western world of a vampire was going to be very different from someone in Asia, for example. And I thought that's very interesting. So how in this, what in this world do people fear the most? And I do think there's sort of a commonality between cultures of, of men fearing things that are more powerful than they are. And that sort of led to this idea of the patriarchy (laughs) rising 
Um, and so it has its roots in these things that are very close to my heart. Um, as a, a Native American woman, we, we come from a matriarchal society and it's very, it clashes very much with the prevailing theory that men are the head of, heads of the household and stuff. So I think it's very much rooted in that. It's also very much rooted in um, the concept of what we consider to be morally gray across cultures. I think that uh, Dracula, you know, Vlad III, who Dracula is, is sort of was supposed to be modeled after, but that's very much frowned upon in Romania. The, the thing I find so interesting about Vlad III is that outwardly, from people looking in, he is a very evil person, but within Romania, he's a national hero. And I kind of followed that thread of how do we get to that point? Like, how do we, how, how do people inside and outside of a, a country view someone like that? And those are kind of the threads I sort of tied together to create this world that feels very fantasy, but also very Victorian and also very real. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's very strange. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, especially because of the way that we see, you know, the different kingdoms and the different people and they have different reactions to Adrian and Isolde. And they also have very different reactions to each other and their opinions change a lot. And I love what you said about that, because this book really highlights that so many things are in those shades of gray. There are a lot of characters, I'm jumping ahead a little bit into my questions, but it's everybody has pieces of themselves that they would consider kind of like monstrous yeah, and literally or figuratively uh, in this. And I'm just curious if that's, it does feel very true to life where you're writing these people that have a lot of nuance and a lot of layers. Nothing is really black and white. And I think Isolde seems to learn that more and more as as things go on as well that, you know, for herself and then for those around her, things aren't quite as clear cut as you might think they would be at the start of this series. Yeah. You know, I've always been obsessed with that question of morality. And since I was young, uh, my first books that I, I wrote in high school were about this question of depending on what side you're on, you're fighting for your version of freedom and those things clash. And that's the world that we live in. And I think it's very interesting. I was where people had asked me in the beginning of King of Battle and Blood, if I was worried about how people would perceive Isolde because she does fall into that category of morally gray. But if you take her within the context of her world, she's doing what she feels best. And don't we all do that? <laughs> we do that with religion and how we perceive politics. Um, so it's, it's a very real thing that we struggle with on a daily basis. And we all have opinions. We all have op opinions that we feel guilty for or perceptions of things that we may feel guilty for. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And what I thought at the end of this book is that my, my hope was that you didn't know whose side to really be on because you could relate to every, you could understand, maybe not relate, but you could understand where every single person was coming from. Uh, we'll see. Some people still really dislike Isolde and feel like she's a very bad person. And, but my argument again is uh, if Isolde's characteristics were in a male form, you would have no qualms likely because uh, that's the misogyny of our world. <laughs> And I hold to that. I, I do think that's really true. I think that we'd be like, oh, he's so dark and, 
you know, and ro- you know, romantic and handsome. But with it, when it comes to a female doing it, it's suddenly so terrible, you know? Absolutely. And that's actually one of my questions is because I'm curious how you write such strong characters, because in my opinion, Isolde is very much unapologetically herself. I think it's really something that a lot of people struggle with to own, you know, their entire like personality and to just go into things so securely believing that they're doing, you know, what is right for them. And I think I, like, I see that a lot with Isolde. She's always coming from a place of this is like what I have in front of me. This is what I think, you know, needs to happen. And I think it's difficult to write strong, but true to life characters like that. And I'm wondering how you were able to create somebody like that on the page. It's so so funny to hear people talk about my work in this forum because it's so flattering. (laughs) I have to say, honestly, I think I write exactly how I feel and how, who, like how I want to be. And um, I talk about this a lot in regard to my other series with Persephone because she annoys a lot of people, but I think she was definitely like my character that I worked toward empowerment with. And she was going through things that I was going through. And so I wrote that into the book. Isolde, I say a lot, is who I aspire to be completely unapologetic, as we should be as women in this society. But we're constantly put in our place, even by other women. And so she's definitely someone that I just think uh, she's parts of me. I, I handle everything as it comes to me, as I'm faced with it. Um, I am very direct, (laughs) um, to some, you know, to people probably wish I was less direct. Um, but yeah, so I just think that I put a lot of myself and who I hope to be into her and I'm glad it comes across as being strong. Uh, my friend and I were talking the other day and she was saying how, um, she said, I know, she said, no one, I don't think anyone gets mad at you for being as like honest as you are, but you do point out things that people don't want to acknowledge about themselves and <laughs> they don't always like it. And I, I kind of laughed about that because that's as old, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so true because I do think that there are certain characteristics that she shares with Adrian, but when it's a woman versus a man, we sort of, we seem to treat them differently. Like he is very particular and I would say she's pretty, like, she's pretty particular as well. But for some reason you do cut, you're like, oh, you know, he's supposed to be, he's like taking over all these realms and like, he's conquering things. And he's thinking of all of this, like, you know, treason and like, there's a just all these things going on. And, and I think that this really made me think about the way in which I do a, like subconsciously assign those things when I'm reading, you know, books particularly romance where we do like, we rely on these tropes. We love these tropes, but where it's like, Ooh, maybe I need to (laughs) not be so, you know, backwards in my thinking or, you know, like be a little bit more aware of what I'm thinking about with these characters. I just think if, if we lived in this world, you know, and we had we had been raised as Zold was to rule, right. We would have a, a specific idea about how to do that and how to protect yourself, uh, first and foremost, uh, and then secondly, your people. And and I, I do think, I, I thought a lot about her character and of that she had 
faced a lot of people who betrayed her. So in the end, it became about how can she first protect herself and then her people. And yeah, I mean, I think Adrian is a terrible person. <laughs> and and I, so, and even with like, you know, my other series with Hades comparing the two, I just, you know, they are so flawed and, and that's okay. You can be flawed. It's, it's, are you going to work toward being a better person for Adrian? My question for him is as he, cause he's always lived in the past, you know, how is he going to transition into living in the present and creating a future? Can he do that? Or is he too locked into the past? And as old, I feel like Queen of Myth and Monsters very successfully transitioned into living for, you know, her future, but Adrian is still stuck. So it's, it, it was an interesting dynamic to sort of see and, and I'm curious to see how it will go forward in the third book. If our loyalties will continue to lie with Adrian or not, I don't know. <laughs> ah, you said third book and I perked up. Uh, oh, that's yes. Jumping ahead a little bit in my questions. Yeah. Are we going to see these characters again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would be horrible to leave it where it's at, right? <laughs> yes, it would. I, um, yeah my notes yeah. it's like 10 exclamation points <laughs> <laughs> I know well we just did our, my publishing uh my editor and I kind of went through my publishing schedule so we're looking at early 2024 for the third book because next year I or you know in 2023 I do uh I plan to release the final two books in the Hades and Persephone and Saga stuff so um, so I won't have time to get quite the third book of, of Adrian and Isolde out, but yeah, I'm excited. I hope it's only one more, but <laughs> we'll find out once I start writing it. Ah, that's so exciting. And so a, a little bit circling back is in this book, we do get a couple of chapters from Adrian's perspective, which I really enjoyed just getting that like peek into what he was thinking because he is so different to Isolde. It was interesting to see things from his perspective in these certain scenes. And I'm wondering how you decide which parts of the book would be from his perspective or if like how that all comes together. That was so hard. And initially I really believed that it was going to be far more, he was going to have far more chapters. And then as I started writing, I realized that he would just give way too much of it away. And it was also still a Zolk story. Whereas I feel like potentially the third book will be less of less just hers. Um, uh, but yeah, it just, it was, it's so interesting. There are only three chapters. I think what I chose to do is give you a peek into the things that held the most weight for him. And it says a lot about, I mean, I, you get, you get a really good look into how messed up his mind is. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, that was a very difficult decision and he was very hard to write. And I, I always hope that I, I, they have distinct enough voices, but I will say that he does not structure his sentences the same way as is old. So I would go to write a sentence. And I would be like, that's not right. And so what took me the longest was figuring out his word placement. And so that was very difficult. And it, it was a very interesting study in how the like different characters sound to you as a writer. Yeah, I, I have a feeling people are going to be really upset that there are only three chapters from his point of view. I, this may be controversial. I thought it was just enough because it- I it, did too. 
it adds to two. <laughs> yeah. Like it adds a really interesting element to be able to see certain scenes from his perspective, obviously get a little bit inside his head where he's coming from. But I agree with you. I think if there were additional ones, it wouldn't be quite the same, you know, is old story. And she's, she's got a lot to share this book. <laughs> we, we not only, like I said, it's a very interesting book where you live in the present, but we also have all those scenes from the past too. And just very interesting. I don't know. Let me tell you, this book was <laughs> very weird to write and very hard to write. And it's, it was, it took me, I don't know. I, I wrote, I put words on a page in a month. I put a hundred K on the page in a month. And I was not sure. I just was not sure. And it, it's so fast. Like, did you ever feel like you had time to breathe when you were reading it? No, there was a lot of action on like nearly every page. And so that was a question I had as well is there are a lot of intricate things at play, whether it's like, there's like, act, you know, there's so much, act, there's, yeah. action, there's like, we're learning things from the past. We're learning things in the present. We're getting a lot of backstory. So I'm interested in how that all came together because there were, it, it was literally nonstop action for the entirety of the book where I'm just like, okay, wait, what's happening next. And then you're, you're just getting more backstory and more, there was so much, I'm wondering how that was to write. And it sounds like it was challenging, but I think it came together. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. Otherwise it would be a mess. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. So I think one of my things when I write is I was really trying to reflect on this because people with KBB, they said, I wanted this book to be longer and it was a compliment. They wanted it to be, you know, they wanted more, but I think I write very concise. And in my head, every chapter has to do something for the plot. So if it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything and it has, it has to go. So I think that's one reason why everything feels so fast. I, so I started out when I, I had, I had to go sh to Chicago to finish this book. And I started out with 26 K and I couldn't move beyond the 26 K and I went back and I thought about it and I realized that Isolde needed to be more steadfast. She is not a passive character. And the way I had been writing at first was very passively. And I was like, this is just not her. So I had to change the tone. And once I changed the tone, there was nonstop action. Like, I mean, we have a battle scene, I think, within the first three chapters. I did not expect that. The aftermath of that battle scene, I did not expect. And I kept trying to fight it. I was like, I don't want this to happen. Uh, this cannot be happening. And it did happen. And so I had to roll with it. But the whole time I was like, it's like writing like this, like, <laughs> like away from your key. Cause you just, you just don't want it to happen. And then I thought, is everyone going to be annoyed by the backstory, but it has to come into play because we're handling like treasonous people here. And, you know, we're handling the question of, you know, how, how this, kingdom is going to survive so I, I don't really know how it all ended up coming together the way it did uh, as an author I don't even like I haven't read it all the way through in a long time so I'm like does it make sense is it good I don't know <laughs> I don't know um but 
yeah, I did. I did work. I did. These are all worries. These were all worries that I had that is it too fast? Are people going to want more? They're probably going to want more, uh, which is nice, but you know, enough, like, is it, you know, it it is, it's technically shorter than the first book. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, yeah, without spoiling anything, they're definitely going to want more. <laughs> with the way it ends, is that they're what you definitely going to want more with that ending. And so your writing style, is it different for the different books that you write? Or is it sim- like, did you go into Queen of Myth and Monsters with a sort of a process or does it really depend on the characters and and the way that these plot pieces come together, or do you kind of have a set writing process? I say in quotes. <laughs> writing process. <laughs> yeah. uh, my writing process is just the most stressful thing I, I have ever done. And I, it does not change. It is, um, I, what I first write scenes that are the loudest for me. And then once I have those, I can put them in order and then I have to write in chronological order. And I think that is what messes me up so badly because if I mess up on tone or, you know, I don't quite have this, I'm writing a scene and it doesn't quite fit. It will stop me from moving forward completely. And that was the case with this book, A Game of Retribution, King of Battle and Blood. They were all very similar, similarly written. Um, so yeah, it's it's just, a, I, I'm trying kind of a new process this time with a novella I'm writing. And I'm actually holding to a daily word count. I've never done that before. And it's kind of nice, I will say. <laughs> I always think it's really interesting to ask authors about their writing process, because it does sound like there is absolutely no one size fits all, even from author to author, or like book to book, yeah. things can be generally similar, but it's always going to be slightly different depending on the story, the characters. And I think it's really interesting though, that, um, the scenes you wrote first were the loudest ones. And then you kind of put that together. I'm like guessing in my head, which ones those were, but <laughs> I was, was going to ask you, I was like, which one do you think? I'm like, there's a lot, there's a lot in this one that come to mind. I'm like, I don't want to spoil. I'm like, I don't know what's <laughs> a spoiler and what's not a spoiler. Literally everything in Queen of Myth and Monsters is a spoiler. I can't even talk about the bonus scene in the Barnes and Noble special edition because that's a huge spoiler. And, you know, and I, I did say you want that, you want the bonus scene because it's happy and this whole book is sad. <laughs> and so... I think in terms of writing processes where new authors go wrong is they try to embody another author's writing style or writing process. And you just have to look at your process. And if it is like agonizing, like I do for weeks on end over like, you know, a sentence, that's what it is. And you may be able to change that over time, but you've got to embrace it first and just deal with it. And I read that, I think it was writing down the bones was the book. I I may be wrong. I I read two writing like craft books side by side, and I can never remember which one it came from, but she had said, you know, just pay attention to how you're writing now. And that is your writing process and embrace it. Don't try to change it. And that is when I stopped, you know, stopping myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's important, like to embrace the way that you do it and know that it doesn't have to be 
the same way that anybody else would write or would approach something. And that's why you are your, your unique self. And these are your books. Right. Right. And that's why readers love them. The passion from readers though, from your readers, especially on TikTok and on things like Goodreads, people can feel the, like they, they feel so passionate about these characters. And I think it's because the way that you've created them, they're so strong. And then in this case, like the relationship between Adrian and Azold, like, how do you make their relationship seemed like it's so fiery and passionate. I don't even know how to describe it. And I also don't know how to describe any of the spicy scenes without like <laughs> getting in trouble. <laughs> but how do you write such vivid and passionate relationships? You know, I don't, I don't really know. I always just hope it comes across that way. I will say that part of my writing process is really thinking about everything on an emotional level and I really like I like to think very hard and very critically about how um emotion actually feels how it impacts the body how it impacts your environments and I I just think that's such an important element to making people feel the way these characters are feeling and sometimes it's kind of scary like if I'm trying to really think about what it's like to have a panic attack and I go into that mode because it's it's so silly, but it's helpful to feel it. I've had panic attacks before, but sometimes it's so far in the back of your mind, you know, and then you get to where you feel your heart racing and, you know, and, and then you can communicate that. But it's not so much just saying my heart is racing. It's like, how does that feel in my head? And how does that feel like, how does that, does, does that make my chest feel weird? And, you know, so I think very critically about how all of these things feel and maybe that's part of it I I don't know but I also think in my head these characters are so drawn to each other and they are passionate the first word Adrian and his old spoke to each other were uh, she asked him like you know why do you want a wife you can't have heirs and he said do you want to be a breeding mare and I laughed because that was the first like that's the kernel of their relationship is that that fight um and so, yeah, I don't, I, I hope, <laughs> I, I think that may be it. I, you never know what is going to speak to someone. I'm also very passionate about writing and my characters and my world. So hopefully some of my passion, like, <laughs> like I try, I like through osmosis, it just like seeps into the words in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that that does come across knowing that that's part of the process where you really start, like, think about the way that it feels, the way your body like reacts in any of these moments makes them feel that much more realistic when you're reading them. Um, you know, you don't, you don't sort of gloss over any of those really strong emotions. And I think that's why readers love it because you can very much get into this like wave of emotions that sort of go through this book where things are, happy or sad or passionate or stressful. Like you really do feel that as you're reading and this, it's like the ultimate escapism to get so lost in this world, you know, with these two characters. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. I'm wondering if you have a rating system for how spicy or not your books are Um, like, and I know this is different for everybody because you're like, Oh, how many, how many chili peppers spicy is this book? People ask me that a lot. When I recommend romance, they're like, how, how spicy, like how many chili peppers? So hard. I don't know. It's so personal. Yeah. And as a librarian, a former librarian, it's very hard for me to just like assign that sort of scale to especially because I also I also have a huge issue with how books are recommended uh in on a wider scale like when they're comped to to just a title because I think you have to be more specific because people when a person reads a book they pick out things they love about it so that title means something different to them than it does to another person so with spicy scenes it's the same concept I do remember early on when a touch of darkness went viral on TikTok it was the measure it was what people were using to measure spice in other books and I thought I am not the epitome of the spiciness in novels I don't consider my books erotica I consider erotica to be a, that's when you know the spicy content is the point is the plot of the novel um and I don't think I'm as detailed as some authors, there are certain words I choose not to use because I don't feel as though they're as poetic. I try to have a little bit of poetic poetry to my to everything I write. Um, so I would say like medium level, like spice, you know, but I don't know. It's, it is really personal. Like you said, I wish I could provide a better answer, but <laughs> no, I think that that's true. I'm, I'm asking you hard questions because <laughs> I do think that there's, it's so particular (laughs) to the reader that someone's book that's like three peppers spicy or whatever. It could be somebody else's five. I I know there's a group of authors that, um, who I very much love. Uh, One of them includes Jenny Hickman and they tried to create, they created a whole chart for how things work within their circle, which was nice. Um, and maybe, you know, I don't know, but I also think it's nice to go into a book without having expectations of spice, because if you've never read a romance before and you start one like my book, maybe you will find a whole world opens up to you that you didn't even know you liked. That's so true. I do think that there is something to be said 
about not going into a book with too many things in advance. Like you don't want to know everything there is to know about things. Sometimes it is nice to just discover it as you go. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So this story as well, you pull a lot of inspiration and you mentioned this in your author's note, but you pull a lot of inspiration from different mythologies um, from lots of different countries. Do you do a lot of research into that process or was it like, you know, pulling just inspiration and like sort of using it as a launch point to create your own world? Um, You know, there's like mythology with some of the different you know, like you said, things with the vampires, other creatures that I, you know, that exist, like other, you know, systems of magic and things like that. And um, just what the research process was like for you to pull some of those things in. Yeah. I, it's kind of a combination of things because you, you know, it, <clears throat> I like, I'd love to acknowledge that where I get all this inspiration from, because I think it encourages people to go and, I also want to respect the source material, which uh, is the majority Romanian history. Um, So I did a lot of research on their beliefs and practices, their ancient beliefs and practices about spirits and ghosts and witches, Um, the gates, for example, that are around the villages. Romanians would close gates at nightfall to keep the spirits at bay. Um, There is a um, celebration in the book that's based off the night of the wolf, which was inspired, which is a actual celebration of Romania for St. Anthony, I believe. And it's when magic is believed to be the most powerful. Um, the only reason I didn't call it that is because I worried over whether or not that was more religious. I did talk to some of my Romanian friends. She didn't seem to think it was but if that it's, it's sort of like handling the gods too. I'm very conscious of the fact that people still worship Greek gods, right? Yeah. Those, those entities are very real. Those deities are very real to those people. And that it's important to respect that. Um, so I, I changed the name and changed a few concepts while still saying this is exactly where I got this information from. Um, and then the bigger thing was obviously the witchcraft and, I think it's important to handle witchcraft very carefully because there are a lot of very, there are some things that can be considered very offensive. And um, I I think it has a history of being something very evil and vicious. And I wanted to show it as I think it is, which is very much calm and peaceful and worshiping the earth. And it was made to be something very evil by men who wanted to encourage fear so a population would rely on them to be safe. So yeah, I just, I really enjoy those elements, especially being a former librarian. It's very important to me to acknowledge where all of the information comes from. And I love research. That's one of the, as soon as I start hearing scenes in my head, that's the first thing I do. Um, And I really hope it encourages other people to check out the books and resources that I do use. So I know it has worked with Greek mythology. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. And, and I, I always love the author's note. I don't know if everybody, I love the author's note. I love any like um, acknowledgements 
Um, because I always think it's so interesting to have, I, I just want to know more. I just want to know like what the inspiration was, what went into it. And so I really enjoyed the note just to like, know again, where things came from, what they're based in can look those things up and learn more about it. And then also like very clearly see the inspiration that you drew, um, for certain things like the festival, um, in the book, speaking of, uh, again, characters in this world. I'm wondering outside of our main characters, you know, Adrian and he's old, if there's anybody that you have a particular soft spot for, I'm asking because I have like a weird soft spot. I wouldn't have thought this from book one, um, for Killian. Like, <laughs> I know. I, I've always had a soft spot for him though. Even in yeah. KDB. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, from the first, you know, the first, you know, few chapters of um, King of Battle and Blood, I'm like, who is this man? Uh, but as <laughs> things as things progressed, I like was writing down. I'm like, oh, like okay, we can't like Killian. I know, uh, <laughs> poor Killian. <laughs> I like. I, I was really surprised that at the end oh, you love him by the end you're just like yeah. please be here forever and don't die that's kind of how I feel about yeah I'm like, please um, take care of everyone and don't hurt yourself you know what's so interesting about this book is it does feel like it, the world is vast but it feels so small at the same time and that circle of people feels so small and I, I do think in some ways my fantasy is for people who don't really like high fantasy. Um, and that's kind of what I say, because I think there's a simplicity to it that um, lends itself really well to people who are just starting out with fantasy. But I, I do think Killian definitely is, has, uh, Violetta too had just had my heart and um, Soren, gosh, he just had everything. And they're I don't know they're kind of all like my babies and they because they're all just so they're just they're so broken and they're so sad and I don't know what to do about it (laughs) oh yeah we need to give them some some something uh in (laughs) book three you're the author uh I I love though is I love when people have a fondness for the secondary characters because I think that means you did something right. And I worried over, I will say I worried over Anna Maria because she's very quiet and I couldn't figure out why she was so quiet. Well, we find out later why she's quiet, but I was like, there, I just, she just would not talk to me. And, and, but she has so much tragedy in her backstory and I was not prepared for that. And it was very hard to write uh, there's one scene in particular, I think you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. I was just like, oh God, <laughs> it's so awful. And um, it makes you really feel for them, for all of them. They just, they've all lived in this very harsh world. Yeah, they have. And, but what I do get the sense of from all of these sort of secondary characters is there, they all, again, without spoiling anything, they all you feel the support that they're giving to Isolde and Adrian in whatever way that means throughout both of the books. Like they're, they're like inner circle. It feels very tight knit. They all bring their own things to the group. And uh, like, I do love when you have that sort of like second layer of characters where they're just so, they're so vivid and like, you just want to 
jump into the story and like hug them and be like, I hope you're okay. You're, <laughs> you're, you're doing out like you're going to make it. It's okay. You're doing okay. <laughs> you're doing okay. Um, yeah, I always hope it didn't feel so limited. Sometimes, you know, you worry in, in the world if it feels like, because it's such a tight circle that it feels so small and like limiting. But for them, I, I remember going into this, realizing that Isolde has no one but Adrian. And even with the worry over like who this traitor might be, it's hard to turn to anyone else but the people they've known their entire life, or, you know, for him, especially his entire life. Um, So that was also very interesting is to try and balance her, like Isolde's suspicions with this is, these are the only people I have been able to trust. And that was, you know, and I, I kind of like, honestly, as an author who's progressively gotten more popular over the years, I've experienced that in my own life. So even I'm sitting here thinking that's an uncomfortable situation to be in, you know? Absolutely. And I think what I, what I felt in reading these, you know, books is that it does feel like the the story takes place in this space that feels like, I don't want to say cozy because it's not cozy, but like, <laughs> like, um, you know, tight knit bubble, like a of. little bubble, yeah. but that there's, there's so many things that I feel like are hinted at that we're, I hope we maybe continue to explore. Um, there's so many things that feel like they're kind of on the fringes you know, for readers, if they, if they were willing to pick up on them, but that there's, I like, there's so many ways to read this book. I think Mm -hmm. I love that you say that because you can read this book and see it as like, like one way, but if you're really paying attention, it's sweeping. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like if, I don't know, I, I feel like I do that in all my novels. Like there's, there's a certain like brand to what I write. And it's like, there's this huge deeper meaning to everything I do. And so if you, if you just want to like read it for fun, you can, there's a way to do that. There's also a way to read it in this very big way. That's why I, my editor is disagreeing with me, but I was like, I don't know if this will be the, the third book will be the last book. We'll find out, but that's a lot to do in just one book. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. It feels like there's a lot we want to, there's a lot we want to learn. So seeing if you there's can, there's a lot I want to learn <laughs> Yeah, about these characters. So I'm going to ask you, I ask a lot of authors this because I personally really love it, but the cover design for this book is stunning. How did that come to be in terms of the general design? And then also I'm curious if you have a favorite edition because there are a couple of special oh yeah versions for this book as well. Oh gosh. Um so the cover design is very interesting. I work with Regina Wamba who I absolutely love and um we are very we very much base everything on feeling. And when I reached out to her I said I know what I want on the cover. And it, I said, we could, I'm big on symbolism. So the, the sparrows, of course, and I said, it has to have white butterflies on it. And you'll notice there are no white butterflies in the book at all, but I had been seeing white butterflies in my day-to-day life. And I took that as it's a symbol of 
empowerment and like evolution. And so I was like, they have to go on the cover. And that's all I gave her. And she came back with what she came back with. And I absolutely phenomenal work. I loved it so much. And, and that's how, that's kind of how we do all of our covers. I'll send her a Pinterest board. I'll give her some direction on symbolism and that's it. As far as my favorite edition, I have, I don't know because we have the, we have this indie wrap edition that has uh, a gorgeous photo, like a gorgeous art of Adrian and Isolde. And I'm absolutely in love with that. Uh, I can't wait to touch it. Uh, and I love the Waterstones edition, which is emerald green. And I have to say, I thought that was going to be so ugly. And then they did it. And I was like, oh my God, it's beautiful. So I was right. This is why I don't trust myself with any cover design. I, I rarely give any feedback because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, and then there's something just so classic about the indigo version, which is black. But then I have to, you know, just give props to just the, the, the Barnes and Noble editions, like because the Barnes and Noble Indie and Waterstone edition all have the same content. And I love that bonus chapter that I wrote. It's very long. And it also has this, that really cool graphic novel in it that was done by um, Julio Desir. And it's just amazing. And so I'm very blessed to have all of these options for my readers because not every author gets this. And I'm just, I'm very grateful for it. It's so cool, but it was also so stressful for me to pick which one to, to pre-order. <laughs> I love my diehards because they have like five copies of this book coming and they're just like unashamed. They're like, what's another copy? And I'm like, you guys are the best. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's so fun. And I, I mean, some people maybe don't like it, but I love it because it's like a different I don't know, like a slightly different take. And if it's on something that you enjoy, like books, then like I say, have as many as you want. And Um, I know it it is frustrating because it's, you know, for people because they just can't decide. But but also it just gives a lot of options and access. And that's nice. Yes, absolutely. I did end up, like in case you're curious, I did end up ordering the indie version. um, Yes, yes. But I- I also have the Barnes and Noble exclusive in my cart (laughs) and the Waterstones one in my cart. (laughs) You have to get, you have to get one exclusive at least to get the bonus chapter because it's happy. (laughs) That was so, that was the thing is I need the extra scene. So I may, I might have to pick between Barnes and Noble and Waterstones and maybe not get both, but it's a rough life, man. (laughs) It's it's so hard. Although I, I like, if, I obviously don't have problem. There's like five uh, I know. behind <laughs> me. So I, you know what, really? if we have three versions, so it. be it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for answering the cover questions. I have a couple of miscellaneous questions. Um, if you're amenable now that we've really gone into queen of myth and monsters. Yeah. Um, because I'm just curious about you. So you do have a background in libraries. Overdrive is a library company who um, sponsors professional book nerds. So we love our librarians. And I was wondering if you could just touch a little bit on your past life as a librarian. My past life. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you, you know, have a favorite library memory or um, something that you are particularly fond of in libraries. It's so hard to 
like uh, to boil down like my favorite part about the library and I'm I actually have the honor of I'm going to do the keynote speech for OLA MPLA in March for my um for basically for my library system like they they had asked me to do it and um they we were <laughs> they were talking about like what kind of you know what, what kind of speech they would like you know speech they would like and and she said you know we just we um a lot of times we're told like what else we need to do and you know and i was like i know i've been to plenty of these so i was like how do i inspire librarians and i i just thought about how the library changed my life and so often uh, we as librarians want to talk about how you know, our customers lives were changed but the library just got changed so much for me. First of all, I did not, I never did expect to go into library science and I had, I fell into it and I found a huge passion for it. And it taught me so much about how readers seek information and what they're willing to read. And that helped me when I decided to self publish again. I thought more critically about how people were going to find my books and how people were going to read it because I knew that readers rely on word of mouth marketing they read what their friends are reading very few readers will go outside of that scope uh they have to be very like voracious very like independent readers to do that it also helped me find a love for romance and there was sort of this like unashamed like unabashed approach to just embracing romance and I had asked my teen librarian for a romance recommendation and the first one she gave me was The Madness of Lord Ian McKenzie and I absolutely fell in love with it all Regency romance and then it led to Highlander romance and then it led to just like it was like it was a huge thing because librarianship teaches you not to judge other people for what they're reading because the whole point is just to read we don't even care if you you know there is a there is elements to you know, checking your resources and things like that. But if you're reading user-generated content on Wattpad, that's perfectly fine. At least you're reading, at least you're exploring, at least you're learning what you want to, to read. Because I do believe, as most librarians, that there's a book out there for everyone. So it just like, it took down these walls of like prejudice that I used to have around romance and, and you know, other literature. And it's it starts to make you less judgmental about what people read and really appreciate the fact that books exist get people reading twilight for instance like there were there was this that huge movement against twilight and it's like you know what it got so many people reading the people who are reading my books probably started reading because of twilight and there's something so amendable about that it's like it's commendable it's it, it's a big deal so <laughs> that's what the library did for me and i it, it's such a breath of fresh air to just feel like there's no expectation upon what you have to read or even for me what i have to write for readers right one of my favorite stories though i'll tell you as a librarian i had the best student ever and she was a, a woman from i believe ghana and she worked at mcdonald's and she would come in on her break and she had to learn the computer and we taught her everything from like this is a monitor this is a usb port this is the keyboard here i'm going to set you up and let you learn how to type um i'm going to set your up your email this is how you log in and she got to the point where she enrolled in classes at the technology center across the street and became a medical assistant and was just like using the computer like a pro and that is one of my favorite stories ever she is so kind um just 
just really cool way of seeing not only how like we influenced her life, but she influenced our life. I love Sorry, that. I could talk about no. it all day. <laughs> no, it's so true. I mean, libraries are, I mean, I, libraries are magical places where there are so many different things available to you, uh, you know, as a member of the community, but I do think it's really important that people remember that their libraries are alive and well yeah. in their communities, hopefully. It, it's what's so disheartening about pirating, you know, when Z library went down and people were just so upset. And I just thought you have overdrive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I use, I still use overdrive. I just used it last night. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of my favorite resources. Sure it's free books, you know, it's, and it's not like the library will not work to get the books that you want to read. They will 100%. So um, it's, it's sort of disheartening where people don't, you can tell who hasn't been in a library since they were a child based on what they say about the library. Absolutely. And I think what you said as well about libraries sort of getting rid of these like arbitrary rules around reading. I think that that resonates with me as well. Like I'm a, I would say a relatively recent romance reader, although Mm -hmm. I grew up reading a lot of like young adult, like Sarah Dessen, which is very, there's like a love story and all those things. So I don't know that I'm like brand new to romance, but just like really embracing my love of romance reading over the last couple of years where everything else has been hard. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I want to be able to read these books that make me, you know, escape or forget or have these tropes that I love and can rely upon. Um, I think that that's really important that people, you know, remember that the library is a place they can go to find hopefully whatever is of interest to them. And that's what I think librarians are so good at is putting the hands, you know, putting the right books in the hands of those readers. They love it. They know they love it. I, one of my favorite things to do is readers advisory. And when I could handle it, even on my Instagram, I would do readers advisory for people. And when a reader comes back and says, Oh my God, I love this book. I need this another one. It's like, it's the greatest form of satisfaction for any librarian. So I was very lucky. I got to work in a very progressive system. Not all libraries are created equal, but they're still there as a resource for you and access to books, you know, whether you need physical or digital books. And there's no difference in reading an ebook versus a physical book. It's still reading. Uh, I wish we valued audiobooks, ebooks, digital reading as much as we value physical reading. I think we're getting there. I think there's still some prejudice there. I agree. And I think that's the thing is there are just, it's more options. And so you can- you have more access to these things. And I, like, I listen to audio and read digital and obviously read physical books. And it's just like, whichever way I can get the book or whichever way fits my lifestyle at that moment. Um, I'm all for having people access them however they want. Right. Um, (laughs) I have a couple rapid fire questions for you as we close. So this is really hard. I'm and so it's not really going to be rapid fire because this is going to be a tough one. Um, what's the best book you've read recently? Oh, I gotta look at my Kindle. <laughs> like in in all your in all your free time. <laughs> all your free time. Yeah, I've been so terrible actually about reading, and I just was um, 
I was just looking for a new book last night and I asked my friend for a mafia romance and she suggested Sophie Lark, who I've been wanting to read. She has a new book coming out called Anastasia and I absolutely cannot wait to read that. It's hard because what I've been reading are grim retellings. So I'll just tell you my favorite grim retelling that I've read. It's called The Rose Elf. And doesn't that sound so pleasant? Rose Elf. Uh, but it's a terrible story <laughs> about a murder, a, a decapitation of all things. Um, and so, yeah, so this Rose Elf lives in a, in a rose and basically witnesses a murder and helps lead to the capture of, of the murder. But anyways, uh, grim retellings are so awful. They're like, they're really cool and really ridiculous, but also really terrible. And I've been, I, I can't lie and say I haven't been enjoying it because I have, but it does put you in a mood. <laughs> it definitely does. Uh, but I tend to, my reading tastes very totally wildly. So I'll read a lot of romance and then I'll read a lot of like really dark it's like a palate you know, cleanser. Exactly. And so each yeah. kind of refreshes your palate for the other. <laughs> right. Right. Cleanse. Exactly. <laughs> um, what's your go-to order in a cafe? So coffee, oh, tea. I have, have an Americano with an extra shot. Does not matter how many shots it comes with. I always have to have an extra one. I love that. What <laughs> is the best part of being an author? Oh, getting to fangirl with my readers about my work. <laughs> it was always a dream to be able to do that. And I get to do it every day. <laughs> Speaking of which, are you excited to see readers on tour for this book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so amazed. A couple of the tour spots have one of the tours sold out. I think the two of them have. And I was like, what is happening? How, how does that happen? <laughs> As one of the people that will be at one of your tour spots, I'm very excited. <laughs> I'll oh, see you um, when you come to Cuyahoga County Public Library. That's one that's sold Oakland. out. Yeah, yeah I'll, like I'll see you there. People, and I was like, I've never had a tour stop sell, sell out, so I was just like, I was super amazed and like, that's not real. <laughs> Ohio I'm really turns out you. for its authors. I will yeah. say, like, we really do love to show up. <laughs> I love it. I'm so grateful. I cannot wait. I'm very excited. It's going to make my Christmas like 10 times better. So <laughs> I'm very excited. And it's like in the middle of the festive season. Well, we wanted to get it confirmed early because it is during the holiday season. So I was like, can we do this soon? And, and of course, you know, my team worked really hard and anytime I get to visit a library and it's another state, it's, I'm just ecstatic about it. Like, I'm one of those people that when I travel to a new state, I'm like, where's the library? <laughs> We're extremely lucky to have uh, the library systems we have in Ohio. So I'm very excited that you are coming here uh, yeah. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. With that, is there anything that you would like for readers to take away from Queen of Myth and Monsters? Oh my gosh. Oh, I just hope I, I hope that it is an empowering read because that is my goal, I think, is to, is to show you your power and your capabilities. And I think that so often we are made to feel guilty um, rather than continue to just be unapologetic about how we feel in this world. And so hopefully you're inspired a little bit more to stand up for what you believe in. That's perfect. That was really deep. No, really deep. <laughs> I think that that's so true. I think there are so many things that we feel, 
you know, guilty about, you know, I love that. And I do think that that is one of the best things about Isolde is that she's so unapologetically herself. That is something that like a lot of people struggle with myself included. And so it was refreshing to see a character who just, you know, she, and she learns that's the thing of it as well. If she, if she's not quite right in her inclination, like she learns. And I think that that's all that you can do. I had never written a character like, cause I had been in the Hades and Stephanie world so long. I hadn't written a character who continuously confronts her problems quickly. And I thought, how in the world do I feel tension if you're going to keep talking about it? But there are definitely other ways. I just was so surprised by how quickly she was like, confront, confront, confront. And it's refreshing. It, it, you know, it's, it's nice to see it. It's nice to, to process it with her. Um, so I'm glad that you felt that way. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this book, these characters, libraries. It's been such a treat to get to speak to you. And um, I'm surprised I didn't accidentally spoil anything. <laughs> oh, I know. I think I kind of did, but it's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, if if we need to, we can, uh, we can beep it out. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to have just like an, an honest spoiler chat with someone about this book. Cause I need it too. <laughs> oh, see, that's the thing I would, I would love that. I usually end up, I'll stop recording and then ask you <laughs> um, just so that I get to know, but thank you so much. Um, I can't wait for other people to read this. Uh, Queen of myth and monsters comes out on December 20th. Thank you so much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.